let's do this. Um, so before we start and introduce um, to the listeners, before I start and introduce uh, my guest, I just want to pay tribute to Charles Allen's uncle, um, who uh, passed away very recently because of the uh, coronavirus. Charles, do you want to say a few words? Yeah, I guess this is just an example of how this coronavirus situation will eventually probably come home to a lot of us, if not directly, maybe indirectly, through us all knowing somebody who's sadly died or knowing somebody who knows somebody who has sadly died. It really does seem to be gathering some pace now. And yeah, my uncle last Friday was enjoying lunch in Cambridge and this Friday he's dead. So um, he went from falling ill on Sunday and being dead on Thursday morning. So it's very sad. An old guy, of course, 85 years old, but otherwise fairly healthy. So, um, yeah, I think it's uh, just if we need it, yet another message to us all that we have to stay home, protect the NHS and save yeah. lives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and he was related to dad's side, mom's side? Yeah, he's my dad's my dad's brother. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, um, you know, our thoughts are with you and your family, uh, and um, a lot of condolences, Charles. Thank you. Um, so uh, I just wanted to really set the scene, um, to be honest with you, with all the listeners, in terms of um, how we know each other. So yeah. from from uh, from that perspective, um, we we met when we were thirteen at school. Yeah, amazing. So I, 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 I'll let you uh, tell the story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, Azar and myself were thrown together in uh, in the same house at St. Edward's School. It was a house called Tilly's House. We were shell formers, as they called the first year students yeah. there. We bonded pretty immediately and sort of we rode all the various highs and lows of, of five years at St. Edward's School and the school growing and expanding and us deciding to be pioneers at yeah. that very young age uh, to go and help establish the new boarding house. And then I guess like many of these friendships at, at, at public school, we all split up like a hand grenade. Um, I went off to university in Leeds. I don't think anybody from, from St. Edward's <laughs> had went there that year or, or has probably been there since. Yeah. And then I studied Spanish at, at Leeds University and then really set to building my career overseas using my Spanish. And I was very fortunate as part of my career to spend what, almost 16 years living and working overseas, 10 of which were in Latin America. So I guess necessarily I sort of, sort of lost touch with a lot of people I knew from uh, from my previous life. And then through the uh, miracles of social media and LinkedIn, um, Azza managed to uh, reconnect with me and we met up recently in, in London. And yeah, it's incredible that after 36 years of not having seen each other, yeah, we picked up almost where we left off and uh, yeah. just gave each other a fairly lengthy update of the <laughs> highs and lows of each of our lives. And uh, and here we are today doing this yeah. uh, this conversation. Yeah, j just just for um, um, reference sake, four out of the five years we spent together um, at school. So that, that was uh, at that age, formative years together, you know, at various varying degrees, sharing a room. At the end of last year, we actually... I uh, went in, in a in, in a, uh, a dorm together, just the two of us, and 
Um, really fond memories. Uh, I, yeah. I remember. Really good. Yeah. Um, and at that age, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a big percentage of your total life yeah. experience. Yeah, less so now, but yeah, you know, when you're in your late teens, that's a good sort of twenty five percent of your of your whole life's experience. So yeah, 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 uh, yeah absolutely. And or just again, I just wanted to um, pay tribute to uh, Charlie's parents. Um, when my parents were three thousand miles away in another country, so you know, um, when we used to have leave weekends and we used to go away, Charles used to invite me over to his uh, house, and his mom, especially, uh, very hospitable, always. Um, you know, looking after me. So I just really want to pay tribute to, to both of your parents on that one. And, and, real and they, they, they remember you, they remember you fondly. So uh... yeah, it's very kind, very kind. So um, got married, had two sons. Um, the, was it a Henry, Harry and George, is it? Har Harry and George. Ha yeah, Harry I, and George, yes. Yeah, I was really sort of living the dream, I suppose. You know, I, I, I set myself this sort of personal ambition of... Uh, using my Spanish to live and work overseas, um, I naively thought that perhaps a business would um, hire me just because of that. And I very quickly realized that they wouldn't. So I did it the hard way. I, I joined what was then Coca-Cola and Schweppes, which is the, the, the bottling franchise of, of Coca-Cola and, and Schweppes, obviously. Yeah. I don't know why, I still don't really understand why, but I was posted up to Edinburgh as a salesman working in the on trade and uh, bingo halls okay. and contract caterers. And so this uh, rather home counties young man was going into these sort of east of Edinburgh pubs, trying to sell soft drinks to pubs, which really only served sort of beer and more beer. So it was yeah. a real baptism of fire, but um, I sort of earned my spurs there and then went down to head office and worked on national accounts and I was there for about three years and then suddenly this itch around using my Spanish needed another scratch and so I made inquiries within the Coca-Cola system that I was far too junior to be worthy of an overseas assignment at that stage but I was impatient and then um, fortunately uh, Guinness at that period were about to expand their spirits division uh, overseas and they were looking for people who were 100% mobile, could speak Spanish and had some level of distributor experience and my last role at Coca-Cola had been managing a bunch of uh, on-trade distributors across across uh, across the UK so I jumped at it. They asked me an uh, interview, do you have any questions for us and I said yeah of course when will I live and work overseas and they said oh that's ridiculous this was going to take a, a long time and I thought okay um, but anyway, six months later, I was living in Miami. Uh, six months after that, I was living in Argentina, uh, looking after Peru, Bolivia, and Ecuador. And curiously, my dad had been born in Argentina, so that was sort of closing a nice sort of personal yeah. family yeah. circle. But then um, I was charged with sort of finding sort of joint venture or, or buyout opportunities in my markets. And uh, our Peruvian distributor, Johnny Walker, said, you know, I can see the writings on the wall. Let's do a deal. So I, I called in the cavalry from London to help out because I was, what, 27, 28. I had no idea what M&A was all about. And um, again, equally bizarrely, the, the owner of this distributor just realized that in a cost-sharing joint venture, having a 49% stake or a 0% stake gave him about as much control. So he said, look, just buy the whole lot off me. So 
We did, and then the company had a bit of a problem because who was mad enough to go and want to live in Peru in 1995 just after mm. the Shining Path had been shut down and the whole market was pretty insecure? Um, well, they found a guy who was mad enough to do that, and that was me. Um, <laughs> I, I certainly wasn't um, you know, first choice. I acknowledge that, but um, I was prepared to do it. And that, if you like, was my first sort of career break of getting that general management experience at such a young age was was priceless and the market just took off and it's the kind of market within the sort of now Diageo network where you're just a sort of a, an element of rounding in the numbers so it doesn't matter if you screw up so we sort of experimented with all sorts of things as, as we sort of felt our way to success there in Peru. I got married uh, while I was there to a British girl who I'd met. Um, Harry, my firstborn, was born. Then moved down to Chile, did an integration job there between the Grand Met business and, uh, and the Guinness business. And then, again, in terms of a sort of fortuitous conversation, I was talking to a guy I respected within the organization. And I said, look, what's going to be next? And he said, well, yeah, you're, you're trundling along nicely in these markets, which basically mean nothing in terms of the scale. And if you want to sort of up your game within this organization, you're going to have to go back into the line because your career is a bit sort of backwards at the moment. You've, you've, you've been a general manager, but you've done no serious line role. Yeah. But I took that on board. And then again, fortuitously, an, an opening uh, came about in Mexico. So I went up to Mexico as marketing director of what is a, a, a scale business in, in Mexico. Um, had a great experience there. Again, it's a country that I'd lived in as a kid, so sort of closing a sort of personal loop on that. And then um, three years into the Mexican piece, I'd been in Latin America for 10 years at this stage. Our kids were six and seven, and we'd always committed to the boys being educated back in the UK. Um, <laughs> even though I, as you've heard, uh, went to private school as a boarder and enjoyed it. Uh, we felt we wanted to be around for our, our kids experience of the same thing yeah. so we decided we couldn't make the move straight from Mexico back to the UK so we did a bit of a soft landing in in Holland um, Diageo runs all of its major whiskey brands out of the Netherlands so I went to the Netherlands as a as a marketing director for Johnny Walker Black Label which was the most incredible experience and really good good experiences working this time mainly in Asia uh, but also back in Latin America. Then when it really was crucial for the boys to be back in the UK, managed to secure a move back to the UK with Diageo, looking after the super premium classic malts range. And that was when I really, after a couple of years doing that, I just thought, you know what? It's got to be more to life than blogging whiskey around the world. You know, I wonder what else is out there. And the UK market for spirits um, is a big market, but it's got very little value in it. Most of the products you see on the supermarket shelf are pretty low value. Um, so I thought, right, as the redundancy wheel turned once again in Diageo, I stepped out. And I thought, you know, I wonder if uh, sport needs some uh, marketing talent uh, from blue chip organizations. And I'd, I'd had an experience with sport at Diageo running the McLaren F1 relationship with Johnny Walker Black Label and I knocked on loads of doors and I met some really interesting people but every time I just thought no they're not taking this marketing game seriously enough but they need to 
Yeah. And then one day I was called up by a headhunter and he said, look, Charles, I know you've looked at sport and I know you've looked at football, um, but Arsenal need a marketing director. And I said, oh, really? Have I got to go and speak to another football club? He said, trust me, these guys are different. And he was right. I went to see the, the CEO who'd only been in about eight months. And he said, look, I am recruiting into each of the each of these sort of departmental um, verticals, experts in their field. He said, I've got enough football people telling me how to do things. I now need a, a proper marketing director, a proper retail director, a proper HR director. And that's what he did. And um, so we, we, we spoke the language of brands for the first time within a football club. And you know, 10 years ago when this was, it was uh, pretty pioneering for a football club to be to be thinking and operating like that. Now it's fairly normal and Man City yeah. and Chelsea and Man United, yeah. they've all caught up yeah. and in some respects uh, moved, moved on. Um, but it was new in those days and uh, it was all great. And we're back in the UK, the boys are great, uh, enjoying school. And just when I began to start thinking again, I wonder if there's anything else beyond sport. That's when you know, the dream ended in a way and uh, my, my marriage disintegrated. And I want to come back to that because I think the one thing I do want to say is that if, if I, and I've done a little bit of research actually on, on, on looking at your social media and, it, it, you know, you look at your, if you look at your career, I mean, there's a huge amount of success there. Uh, and there's a lot of progression and a lot of drive and a, a lot of, uh, you know, ambition. Uh, and, uh, but I, I just, and, and Arsenal is a, a really good place to stop for a minute because I wanted to read out to the um, um, to the listeners um, something that you wrote on uh, your LinkedIn for the current role that you're thinking to go into. Right. And it's really it's really interesting because um, it says here, and I quote: um, "For the first time in my career, I have been given my I've given myself the luxury of time and thought to focus on designing the next stage of my career." My natural curiosity for the world and in humans has taken me all over the world in a variety of exciting commercial and marketing roles. Um, I'm now increasingly interested in roles that offer the opportunity to combine my blue chip uh, commercial marketing skills with non not profit um, purpose, not for profit purpose rather. Yeah. Uh, my trustee role, and you're a trustee, which we'll touch upon also. Yeah. Um, your trustee role has have introduced me to the satisfaction that is derived from doing the right thing by people and simply helping people. Now, this is really interesting because, you know, you, you look at the you look at the the roles you've 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 taken on and the success you've had. And yet you, you read that something obviously majors happened for you to shift from this track to, to, to that track. And, and that's why I wanted just to bring that element into this conversation. Yeah. And yeah. It, and it's interesting. I, I, I've always, as I've managed my career, I've, I've really sort of planned it around some really simple guiding principles about the kind of organizations I want to work for. So the kind of organizations I want to work for are organizations whose brands I'm aware of and use. So that immediately rules out categories that I don't participate in, like smoking, or have very little interest in, like financial services. I always want to work 
with organizations whose value sets I can connect with at some level. So mm. I'm always yeah. looking for purpose-driven organizations. And then the third one is always, you know, I want to work in organizations where I can sort of learn and, and develop. And that's really been my my sort of guiding principle the, the whole way through this. So as now I enter a new life stage, you know, both my boys have pretty much um, fled, the, fled the roost, although they still take uh, deposits out of the bank of mum and dad. But yeah, they're, they're a lot more independent. I'm fortunate enough to now be mortgage free so I'm at a stage where I'm thinking again, you know, is this it? And as much as I've loved working for all the companies I've worked for, and I've, I've fortunately stayed within the sort of premier league of organizations in their categories, at the end of the day, stuff like whiskey and even football, even though football is massively important to a lot of people, at the end of the day, it is only whiskey and it is only football. And actually, if I can find an organization who's willing to accept someone with my skills and capabilities, with whom I can really connect at a deep personal way, yeah. I think I finally will be do so doing something really important. And that's yeah. not to sort of uh, you know, trivialize the work I've done on some great brands uh, around the world, which has all been an amazing experience. But you know, I really now want to do something that I can actually leave a proper legacy and really help some people along the way, as as I've been lucky enough to have been helped throughout my whole career and, yeah. and a lot more recently. Yeah. And so so, you know, uh, I stopped you at the point where, you know, you, the, the, the dream, you said the dream ended. What happened? Yeah, I mean, it's funny, isn't it? Um, you know, quite often life is what happens. Uh, life is what passes you by while you're busy making plans. I think that was a sort of a, either a Woody Allen or John Lennon quote. I can't remember. Um, but my whole sort of life and career had always been very planned. I, I sort of had a bit of a sort of five year plan, a rolling five year plan all the time. You know, interrupted at times with some lucky breaks. But, you know, often you, you, you work hard to make your make your lucky breaks as well. And then I think if I'm brutally honest, you know, I took my off my eye off the ball in terms of my relationship with my wife. Um, I'd like to think she would she would say the same. But we ended up growing apart and a few, you know, bad decisions along the way had us uh, separate three years ago. And it wasn't what I wanted. Um, I accept my cause uh, within it. Um, and as happens to a lot of people, I've now found out, I really took a big decline on my on my mental health. I became properly mentally ill um, and I received a lot of help, and a lot of support from all sorts of people from all different walks of life, obviously healthcare professionals and therapists, but also friends and colleagues and people who maybe I least expected help from. Uh, and a combination of all of those factors led me to recovery. And my experience through that journey, which lasted about 18 months, so a good long period, um, and coming across some really young people who were not much older than my own children, or if I look back to when I was in my early 20s and just starting out, you know, 
people at that age should not be experiencing what some of these kids that I met were experiencing. It absolutely broke my heart. And I thought, hang on a minute. Okay, so these people are now in crisis and the system is just picking them up and they will be processed and they'll pop out the other side. And, and I genuinely hope they do. But hang on a minute. Why are they in crisis? What's yeah. happened further upstream to have these people arrive at the door of this hospital? And that's the area where I now want to have an impact and create some change. I want to be able to deploy my commercial and marketing skills, either in the not-for-profit not, not space, in something related to mental health. And a lot of charities have uh, a link into mental health issues or in the private sector, the people who are working in mental health, or even in the startup area. And if you think about it, you know, if you think about the industry that has sprung up around our physical health, there are gyms, there are diets, there are clothing ranges, there are vacations, there are podcasts, meditation podcasts, you name it. There's a multi-billion pound industry around our physical health. Where's the equivalent around our mental health? Yeah. And actually, I think right now, the timing, again, perhaps for me is, is fortuitous because I think when we come out of the back end of this coronavirus thing, watch out. There's going to be a mental health time yeah. bomb taking there. Agreed. I Agreed. think for the moment, whilst Boris has got us on this sort of war footing, I mean, this is his Churchill moment. This is his yes. World War II. He's asking us all to get behind his purpose of staying indoors, protecting the NHS and saving lives this week. He's going to put that message in our hands by a physical letter from a marketing campaign point of view. It's classic what he's doing. It's sort yeah. of build the reach. Now yeah. he's going to build the engagement with a personal letter to 30 million households. So this is his moment where all of us can rally around the purpose. And I think that is what's going to keep a lid on the mental health issues for now. But let's project ourselves to September, October, when people are going back to school People are going back to work. People are suddenly emerging back into the light. And the world will have changed. And how well people adapt to it is going to be critical. And I think we're going to see a lot of people uh, beginning to show maladaptive behaviors, show signs of mental illness. And I hope that's where I can sort of step into the light and help a charity, help more people through maybe by raising more funds or by having better campaigns or whatever it might be. Uh, that's where I want to um, deploy my expertise now. It, it's, it's really interesting. And, and I, I just want to go back to your own experience, because obviously, you know, you were affected by the separation of your wife that impacted on many areas of your life. And I, I want, if you if you don't mind, could you talk a little bit more about that? Because the listeners, this, there's a lot of stuff here that you're saying people can relate to. And it'll help them in terms of managing their own um, the expectation or, or acknowledgement of themselves. Um, you know, uh, the, the, the run up to the divorce and the, the relationship, especially with your, your boys. Talk a little bit about that impact. Yeah, I mean, absolutely everything changed for me. It's, 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 it's strange. And now as I'm on the, on the other side of it, um, you know, I, I don't refer to me as coming back and people who don't know me so well say, oh, you're back to your old self. And I say, no, I'm, I'm not back to my 
myself. I'm 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 new. I feel reborn. And I think guess everyone's experience is different. Um, my uh, decline was was very gradual. It's a bit like the the story of the frog in boiling water. You know, you you start off in a cold pan of water, the heat gets turned on, and you you feel it getting a bit warmer, and suddenly, bang, you're boiling, and it's all over. And and as I reflect on it, there are some things that definitely sort of signposted me along the way in terms of sort of what happened to me. So small things like suddenly you find yourself losing your memory for things that normally you wouldn't you wouldn't think twice about, but you'd mm-hmm. struggle to remember those things. You'd forget where you lost things. You'd then miss a deadline at work. Then you'd sort of skip shaving one morning so all of these little habits and 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 daily routines they start going until you get to a point where there's really nothing left and you can't even get out of bed and getting out of bed and going to a supermarket is all you can manage in a day and it's a huge effort and you might get to the door of the supermarket and have a panic attack and have to go home and you just can't wait to go to bed and you dread getting up in the morning. That's that's what it's like in, in, in the worst expression of it. And just as it's a gradual descent, which in my case, whilst I was trying, I couldn't find a way to stop it. Um, and it's only when I sort of touched the bottom that I begin a gradual emergence Mm. and you start disassociating with people you know what i really don't like about this whole coronavirus thing is the is the the use the the prevalence Mm. of the word isolation Mm. isolation is a word in my mind so associated with mental health and i see the government are now beginning to use the word the word shielding a little bit more because i think they've They've listened to some of the mental health practitioners saying isolation is not a good word to use because that's what happens when you're depressed. You isolate and you isolate yes. big time. Yeah. Um, so all that was going on. So, of course, my relationship with my work colleagues was suffering. My relationship with my boys was suffering. My boys are angry because, of course, although they're young men, they're still kids and they're they're sort of perfect sort of idealized bubble of of their lives was was suddenly pricked and they saw the realities and and how human their parents actually were um and it all starts sort of wobbling a little bit and yes with my boys it was particularly hard but you know fortunately with with my youngest son i'm now back onto a very good relationship and with my eldest son that 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 will happen i'm i'm I'm, I'm sure it will um and i have to say you know whilst you want to isolate and disassociate from everybody. What you have to do is take a step forward, reconnect with people. And one of the biggest things, and I know it sounds so hackneyed and it's so hard to do, is ask for help. Yeah. You know, and yeah. I speak to a lot of people now who are going through mental health um, problems with the, some of the work I do on a voluntary basis. And everyone says the same thing it was only until only when i started asking for help did i start to feel a little bit better and gradually you come out of it and i believe me if i could if i could put my finger on one thing that had me 
start climbing out of that hole, boy, I would bottle that, I'd market that, and I would be a multi-millionaire tomorrow. But yeah. the truth is, there isn't just one thing. It's a combination of a lot of things, and everyone has their own little formula yeah. that will actually, actually Yeah, I guess it's, it's different for everybody, isn't it? Um, yeah. And, 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 you know, and... I, I say this as well, that, you know, whilst um, I wouldn't wish this on anybody, and I'm not glad or grateful that I've that I went through it. What I am massively pleased about and grateful about is that it has given me this absolute laser focus on what I want to do with the next stage of my life. And I'm so excited by that. And I'm having some incredible conversations with incredible people who prior to this, I would never have had the right to go and see. So I've been in to see the CEO of Guide Dogs for the Blind. And obviously there's a massive correlation with mental ill health and midlife sight loss. Yes. I've had a great conversation with the CEO of Mind. I volunteer at a Mind charity shop. I've been in to see Dementia UK and the list oh. goes on. You know, something will happen for me. I'm uh, just yeah. convinced. That I'm convinced. I Absolutely convinced. I think, I think the interesting part is, and I, I've experienced this because uh, I, I remember when we met up, we shared I shared with you the loss of my entire business and watching yeah. that slide away. You know, that's yeah. nearly 30 years of work. Yeah. Uh, and um, and that has a, 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 an effect on, um, you know, your, even that has an effect mentally on your ability and your own confidence. Absolutely. I think um, the, 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 the interesting uh, thing was the, the fact is that you mentioned something to me that, was, that really stuck with me was, you know, you, you, you've you've relinquished yourself from all the sort of the, the, the materialistic uh, uh, worldly things. Yeah. Most I'm of them anyway. Part of me now. Yeah. <laughs> and you yet you you, you mentioned um, which I can relate to is is that, you know, you're happier now in yeah. that sense with without that stuff. And yeah. talk a little bit about that and you and how you're feeling. Yeah. I mean, you, you, it is only stuff, you know, yeah. and believe me just as my career was advancing and sort of progressing along a, a fast track path. So were the, the whistles and bells associated with that, you know, had a lovely house, couple of cars, you know, dog, two cats, lovely art on the walls, two foreign holidays a year, boys at private school. What's not to love about all of that? But actually when all that goes, you realize that it was only stuff anyway and stuff can either be replaced or you can make do without it and mm. i'm choosing to make do without it so yeah, good for you i uh, i rent a place in london i don't own anything at the moment i don't own a car anymore i use zip cars i ride boris bikes i walk other people's dogs I've got one with me, one with me here at the moment, who is being very well behaved, given that it's nearly his uh, his supper time. And I'm really happy. And to yeah. think that if I had to, I could probably pack all of my worldly possessions within about two hours and be out of there. And it's, 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 I, it's when I relocated back to the UK. Well, the years I lived overseas and worked all that time, I left the UK for Miami with a suitcase and I think two boxes of books I arrived back to the UK with a 40-foot container jammed to the doors full of stuff my wife two kids 
and all the rest of it. And I'm now somewhere, not right back to the Miami sort of state, state of being, but pretty much. You yeah, know. It, it's interesting. Something that came to my mind just now is that sometimes you have to go through a door where it seems you've gone the wrong way and it seems very painful, but you come out the other side and, and you look back on your journey or you, when you get to your destination and say, you know what, I had to go through there to get to where I am now. Yeah, and it's, well, the it's way I articulate the way I articulate that, and I think one of the one of the small triggers that that really helped me is when I stopped asking myself the question, "Why me? Why is all this happening to me? It's unfair. Why on earth me?" When I stopped asking those questions and started asking the question, "What path?" has this experience now put me on suddenly i started to feel better yeah yeah and can i touch upon uh, and uh, look i completely understand if you don't want to talk about this you know i know that certain friends helped you uh, yeah. especially last year um um helped you get to a particular place um do you do you do you care to talk about that in terms of you know um uh, the help that you eventually got yeah, I mean, I mean, I guess in, in periods like this, you really get to know who your friends are. And I talked about how I found found and received help from unlikely sources and some sources that were probably anticipated. Um, but one group of friends, a group of friends of mine, a couple, when I was really at my lowest ebb, they really helped put me back on track and they helped me find the right facility for me to go to. Uh, they physically took me there because both they and my psychiatrist uh, were worried that I might do a runner. Um, I knew I wouldn't do a runner. I don't think I had the guts to do that. Um, <laughs> but they, but they, really, they really, you know, put it out there for me and they they continue to be hugely supportive of me and encouraging and, and that's what you need you need people around you who can just keep building you up and that you can talk to and as i said now i i have no qualms in asking people for help mm. absolutely mm. not and it really is hard particularly for successful men i think to actually sit back and just say you know what i don't know the answer to this yeah i want help and and now when i talk to sort of young people going through these situations or even as I talk to young people at the start of their career and they say what's the what's the biggest piece of advice you could give me and I, I now say never be afraid to ask for help yeah no absolutely right I think I think you're absolutely right it's it, it it's really interesting I you, you you started something um on social media called hashtag one page coaching yeah yeah, that's a little sort of, again, I'm doing so many little sort of pet projects. So um, I thought about one-page coaching when I was sort of, again, going through this period of really not having anything. And I realized that one thing I didn't miss was my very extensive library of management books. And then I thought, why don't, why don't I miss those books? Well, it's probably because I've never read them. <laughs> They're the sort of books that you buy because someone recommends them to you. And you might read the first chapter and you think, oh, I'll come back to that. And you go and read something more interesting. So I thought, actually, people, people like snackable contents. People like to be able to digest sound yeah. bites. Yeah. And maybe if I can distill some of my 
experience as a, as a marketing professional and some of the coaching advice I've received and be able to write it freehand on one page of A4 and call it one page coaching and post it twice a week on LinkedIn, maybe it will help people. And I'm, I'm having really good fun doing it. And um, it, It's brilliant. I, I, I pick up on it all the time. I'm always looking for uh, your, your posts anyway. And, I, and it, just, it, just, it allows you to focus on yeah. the things that you're trying to, to say, but also gives you a chance to step back and think, oh, okay, yeah, I, I got yeah. that one. Yeah. yeah, and if it's, it's, it's just really a nugget cool. that helps somebody, then that's cool. And uh, yeah. I like I like the sort of the mental exercise of thinking, how can I distill this down into as few words as possible and write it on a, on a page of A4? Yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's, it's interesting because I was listening to a podcast today by a lady called Elizabeth Days. How it's, it's, if you have a chance, have, do listen to it. Uh, she has a podcast called How to Fail. Right, uh, yeah. and uh, she was she was interviewing a chap called um, Mo Gaudat. Now he's a he's from the Middle East, but he's he's made his name in in the West in terms of um, he's written a book and he's he was at, actually working for Google X for quite a while. Um, his life changed uh, when when um, he lost his son at twenty one. Um, Ali, he lost his son about I think four or five years ago. And, you know, he's talking about an uh, incredible interview, uh, but something that he mentioned today, I've made some notes here, I'm going to just read it. It's, it's you know, he said, you have to, to take action, which is what you've done, um, and moving forward, you've got to embrace your emotion. Yeah. You've, you've, got, to, you've got to kind of get into that commitment of acceptance to yeah. give yourself that freedom to be able to then embrace that emotion and say, you know, and this, this, this idea that you've just mentioned that, uh, you know, I, I've got to uh, just stop vilifying myself and, and say, oh, poor me, why me? It, you, you've managed to get over that, that yeah. hurdle and actually come out and acknowledge it. You've taken responsibility. Yeah. You've uh, done the accountability piece, yeah. but now you've taken action. And that's, yeah. that's the beauty of your story. It's, it's fantastic. Think, yeah, what I take from what I've just heard you say there about um, sort of embracing emotion, it's all about connecting with your feelings. And again, that's something that men in particular and successful men in particular struggle with. Yeah. You know, and one of the Absolutely. hardest one of the hardest questions I was asked in therapy was, "How are you feeling?" Yeah. And I realized I didn't really know. Yeah. And when you go on that exploration, which is now why I get so passionate about this direction that I want to I want to take my career in it's because I really feel it. It's yeah. it's 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 on fire in here. Yeah, yeah. I can see the passion. I, I can feel it from here. Yeah. If you um, if you can connect your expertise and capability with with this passion point, I think that is yeah. fantastic. Yeah. And it's taken yeah, yeah. me taken me a 30, 30 year career to get to this moment well you know sometimes I, like i said you have to go through uh, various doors to to understand yeah. what the purpose is in life and yeah you know and, and, um don't get me wrong i've loved all yeah the I've i get it all well but you know this is something else yeah and, and it's funny because you mentioned that i i chased you for four years to, to meet up if you remember and I, yeah. and I and i 
you know, the, and I, I love the chase, <laughs> so to speak. But uh, but a lot of that chase is when I was not well. So uh... exactly, and I and I and I got it. I got that. And and um, I what's interesting, um, you know, because I was I was listening to myself and my mind when I was you know preparing for this uh, for this um, uh, discussion, and also uh, going back to when we met three weeks ago. Yeah. Um, the interesting thing was that. I had a perception of you looking through social media lens. Here's a guy, you know, and, and, and to be honest with you, 36 years ago was the last time we were together. We're two different people. Yeah. Uh, we're kind of rekindling that, uh, that relationship. But, you know, so I'm looking through that lens and I'm thinking, God, look at this guy. He's, 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 he's got it. He's done it. He's, you know, he's, he's right up there. Never in a million years would I have thought what, what, when you sat down with me and a train hit me in that, yeah. in that cafe when, in, in the discussion that you had, I thought, wow, yeah. what just happened here? And I, I, and I think, again, we're seeing it now with the coronavirus. It doesn't discriminate age, race, yeah. socioeconomic, yeah. class. Yeah. And it's exactly yeah. the same with, with mental ill health. You know, yeah. it can hit anybody at any time. Yeah. But mental health is something that we all have, and yeah. we must all look after our mental health as much as we look after our physical health. And just yeah. as if we neglect our physical health and we break an arm or we get ill and it's all very visible as the symptom, you get it fixed and people can see you've got a broken arm or whatever. Yeah. Sadly, yeah. mental health, it's, it's on the inside. And people, yes, people can see that you might be miserable down in the dumps, but they, they can't actually see it because it's all inside and you've got to get it out. Yeah, you look, you, you look and sound happier. Uh, you, you, you do, you, you, you sound yeah. excited. Yeah, yeah I'm in a good place, yeah. Yeah, yeah no, it's, it's, <laughs> it, 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 I can feel it. Even so, with all the restrictions. Yeah, and then this is the funny thing is that, you know, if, if, if I tell you about so the legacy that uh, the business left for me financially, um, and I'm still, you know, um, muddling through it. Yeah. Um, I'm happier now, Charles, than I was with what I had and all the pressures that came with it and the unhappiness. It's the unhappiness that made me realize, actually, this is not worth it. And, yeah. and, and in a way, today, if I look at where the entire world is financially, I was there 18 months ago. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I've been working at that kind of, if you want to call it stress level for that long, 24 months. So for me, the coronavirus is coming. Yes, you've got to stay at home. Okay, fine. You know, that, that's what it requires. Fine. And we have to take responsibility for that for, you know, towards others. Sure. But um, it, ma it makes very little difference in terms of my stress levels because I'm, I was working at that level anyway. And, and it, it, it's about, I guess, you know, the, 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 the pressures that we go through to get the things that we want we don't actually stop, and I'm talking about myself, don't actually stop and say, well, why do I need that? And why do I need this? And, you know, yeah. and what are the ramifications if I, if I do um, buy a very expensive car financially, yeah. <laughs> yeah. you know? And uh, so it's, it's, it's really interesting. Listen, I, I, I'm, I'm grateful for the time that you've given. Um, is, is there anything that you want to, you want to say? I mean, uh, aside from, you know, as a message out to the listeners, because I'm going to share your details 
on on the, yeah. the post anyway um so people can get in contact with you and 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 have a discussion if they if there's anything that you've said i'm sure there's a, there's so much you've said that others can relate to and, and benefit but yeah. um is there is there anything that you want to i got yeah one thing i would say um as a sort of a, a a model that again i was introduced to well into my career and i wish i'd seen it earlier on and it's i think it's relevant to everything that we've talked about and actually it was my first ever post on uh, one page coaching which is uh, a venn diagram just three circles uh, you can draw it on a piece of paper yourselves yeah. one circle you write in it what i'm good at the other circle you write in it what makes me money and the other circle you write in it what i love and of course the, the intersection is where you combine what you love with what you're good at with what makes you money and you become yeah. self-actualized and for so long i hadn't been pulling the lever of what i love enough and i don't think they ever teach you at a business school or all these management courses yeah. that make sure you love it make sure you're happy make sure you're having fun because this ain't a rehearsal yeah 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 it's it's interesting i, I was i was just thinking about one thing that came to mind when you were talking about that is, is you know, the, the word happiness banded around quite a lot. Uh, and and in, what, in, our, in, our, in, in our, I guess, in, in my upbringing, there's, there's happiness and there's also contentment. To me, yeah. they're two, di two different things. Very different things, yeah. Yeah. I mean, what does that, what, what, what resonates with you for them when you listen to those two words? Um, well, they are different. And I think, uh, yeah, I had loads of contentment through a lot of things either material or otherwise that i achieved but i hadn't really achieved that sort of level of happiness that you know i'm now on a path to to achieve it's interesting because I, I, what i see what i what i see and what i read is that contentment uh and i've certainly found a, a, a certain level not a hundred percent contentment is is a state of being um yeah. whereas you it, it, if you have a level of contentment you can be happy or you can be sad or you could you could be angry you could be annoyed but those are emotions that go up and down while you the, the base that content yeah. contentment stays and that yeah. that's something that i've learned through my own experience that you know you you you, you contentment is the most important part of that that emotion that, that state of being but listen um i i'm really grateful uh to you charles i i i was going to actually catch up with you physically going out go out to dinner and yeah, we're going to have that side of this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I, I wanted to also go and meet your parents, you know, yeah. I, I wanted to uh, catch up with them. So I think um, we will definitely uh, put a date in the diary for that one. Right, um, but I, I'm grateful to you. Um, and listen, mate, buddy, if you need anything from me, just, just give me a shout. I'm here. For help. Don't you worry. All right. Okay. Then uh, <laughs> thank you very much. Thanks a lot for your time. Cause you are the only one